Hello and welcome to the Cat Master Chronicles. We have exciting, interesting and powerful stories from cat owners about well-being. I'm your host, Michelle Adams, the founder of Chatty Cats Care, a professional cat sitting company. Join me as I dive deep into conversation with cat owners about their individual journeys. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. This episode is brought to you by Chatty Cats Care, London's professional cat sitting company. Hello and welcome to the Cat Mass Day Chronicles episode 29. This week we are joined by Holly Harrington Ball. She is an actress, freelance filmmaker, photographer, mother and wife. She is also an enthusiastic animal lover and has shared her life with some adorable kitties. Holly is originally from London and we met many moods ago at my first retail job on the King's Road in Chelsea. Since Holly has travelled far and wide and lived in many destinations including Cambodia, Kenya, Indonesia and France. She also got married to a wonderful man and they have a gorgeous daughter together called Willow. Holly has also had some wonderful feline companions in her life and unfortunately, like my beautiful boy Jerry recently, is no longer here with us anymore. But I'm sure we will find out all about that in this conversation. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today, Holly. There's so much I can't wait to talk to you about and I'm eager to find out more. I've briefly introduced you already, but if you could please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, that would be amazing. Um, well, hello, and uh, thank you so much um, for um, having me on. Um, really happy to to come and talk to you today. Um, I, yeah, as as you said, I'm a um, I'm a freelance filmmaker um, and a mother um, of a two year old, um, and I'm also um, a, a trained actress. So I kind of have spent the last um, 10, 15 years navigating, um, juggling, um, you know, acting filmmaking and in the last couple of years um motherhood wow so you've been doing so much and I haven't seen you in what feels like 10 years so much must have happened within that space of time so going all the way back to when we were young and carefree what have you been doing to lead up to this point gosh well when um yeah so back then I was definitely young and carefree I was at uni um <laughs> and um and I was yeah working you know to sort of pay my way through uni um and earn some extra cash and then really what happened after that was straight after I graduated from my um from my drama degree I went traveling um and uh actually I read just before I left I uh, I, I trained um, as an English, um, for, as a foreign language teacher, so as a TEFL teacher. Um, okay. And then we went and traveled around and worked um, for about a year in various places um, around Southeast Asia. And then when I came back, I was kind of a bit lost and wasn't sure really what I wanted to do with myself. I, obviously, my passion was in acting at that time still, but I know how difficult the industry can be. And I felt like, I should have something a little bit more concrete and I just wasn't sure. And then I saw um, a a film course advertised um, and I just jumped on it. It was from Four Corners Film, which is um, 
a, a kind of a place that's actually in, in East London and it offers training for people on low incomes or no incomes. Um, and at the time I had no job and it was just incredible. And so I trained there um, and that led on to a um that led on to an internship, if I remember correctly, and then that led on to a job, and then we moved abroad again, and then slowly but surely over the next few years, I kind of built myself um, a kind of a, a career, really, a niche as well, and and then it wasn't until about about six or so years ago, maybe a bit, yeah, about six years ago, that I returned to acting, so it was nice to, it, it was, it, I don't think I realised how much I missed it until <laughs> I, I I came back to it. Yeah, I can relate to that because um, so I used to act as well as a child and as a teenager. And um, I feel like acting is something that you can never really stop, if that makes sense. Like, even though I'm not like directly working as a working actress or anything like that, I feel like I never want to really let it go. So definitely. Yeah. In terms of like creativity and how I try to run my business, I try to use it in other areas at the moment, if that makes sense. Not that I'm acting, (laughs) running a business, but I mean, what kind of tools did I use back then when I was acting and how can I apply it now? So I work with a little boy now, tutoring him homeschooling now that there's a lockdown again. And I think about some of the confidence building exercises that we did um, with acting and they really help now. And um, I think they can really be um, utilized in, in other ways that I never really thought about before. Oh yeah, definitely. I think like you said, it's something that never really leaves you um and I think that's probably why they call it you know the acting bug and it, it, yeah. it's not just that but it's something you can return to um you know years down the line you can take a break from it and it never it, it's 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 something that never goes away that skill and, and that desire most of all absolutely it's like the what do they call it muscle memory you know when you work out or you dance and like, exactly your, your body never really forgets and I feel like it's acting is a passion and it's always within the inside of you. So yeah, totally. totally, Yeah, absolutely agree. (laughs) So you spoke about traveling a fair bit. Can you tell us a bit about some of the adventures you had? I know it's quite a lot going back. No, that's fine. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, I I think the, the first real you know, thing adventure and traveling wise was, as I say, just, just as we, um, um, as I left uh, for Southeast Asia just after I graduated, and it was more of an adventure as well because um, my uh, my my now husband was my my boyfriend at the time, but we'd only been dating at that point for about um, six months, eight months maybe. Okay, and he kind of he he got a fellowship. The, the reason that we ended up going was because he got a fellowship with Kiva, which is a microfinance organization, a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had to go and live and work in Southeast Asia. So he basically turned to me and was like, so I have to go. <laughs> Do you want to come with me? And it was a, it was a strange thing, obviously, if you're yeah. like, it's, if it's, if you're only eight months into a relationship or less than that, actually, um, for someone to be like, do you want to come with me? And it's it was kind of a make it or break it thing. So I was like, of course, you know, I had, I, I did think about it, but then I was like, no, I've got, you know, I'm, I've just graduated. This will be great. Um, and yeah, I agreed to go. So we went to, we 
I trained as a teacher so that I would have um, a way of earning money. And then we moved to Phnom Penh, Cambodia mm-hmm. um, for about three or four months for his first fellowship. And then when that fellowship, uh, when when that part ended, he had to do another three or four months in um, another place. And we ended up in Kupang, West Timor, which is a very, very unknown, very random place um, in Indonesia. And um, we stayed there for a few months, as I said. And then after that, we kind of, his fellowship ended and we traveled around Southeast Asia, um, kind of typical traveling. And we went to, you know, a lot of places. We went to Vietnam and Thailand. Um, we went to India on the way home. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. We went and Laos and Malaysia, you know, we did quite a bit of traveling around Southeast Asia at that time. And then we ended up coming home about nine or 10 months later from when we left. And then we had a year in, in London, which was when my, my, um, my, my now husband, which was when Kieran, <laughs> his name's Kieran, yeah. um, Kieran was doing his master's and I was um, studying film. And after the film, uh, after both our courses finished, um, he ended up getting a microfinance position in France, in Paris. And I figured if I was going freelance, I could start my career there as well. Mm. So we moved to Paris for about three and a half years. Oh, about three years, um, which was, which was amazing. Um, And um, yeah, I still, still miss Paris quite a bit. And then after Paris, we were there for three years. Then we moved to Seattle um, for a few months. And then we moved to Kenya for about nine months. And then we, by this point we were engaged because this is a many years down the line. And so we decided to, um, 2014 was the year of our wedding so we we moved back in 2014 um a few months before our wedding so that we could get everything organized and and yeah so and that was the last place we'd really like you know uh, internationally that we lived in and I do I must admit I do uh, I definitely miss it oh I can imagine like that's the dream I'm literally like listening in awe thinking wow that must have been absolutely amazing it really, it really was. Yeah. It was, it was a good, good time. Yeah, definitely. And I, I bet you never really imagined, you know, when you first agreed to go on the first trip with Kieran, that you know it would end up this way. Exactly. No, totally. <laughs> it was more of a just oh, we'll sort of wait and see what happens kind of thing. Yeah. And it wasn't until many years down the line that he kind of admitted to me that it was a really, um, you know, a make it or break it thing. He wasn't sure that um such a new relationship could uh you know withstand being in a completely foreign and alien kind of environment in mm. a very intense environment living in each other's pockets um somewhere where you don't speak the language and yeah. you know it's in a developing country but we it really um kind of solidified our relationship and you know i, I think i think that kind of traveling you either it's either the, your thing or it is or it isn't yeah. you know if you can live without home comforts um and kind of slum it and just if you can if you can just kind of get by um then and go with the flow then you you're usually you'll usually be fine but I know quite a few people who that would not be their thing and that's cool as well um so I think we were just we were lucky that we both kind of clicked um, yeah. and it just worked and it definitely yeah made our, our relationship a lot deeper Exactly. And I think you get to learn so much about a person as well when you're in those situations. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You become, you can grow closer. You can either grow apart or you can grow closer. And in your situation, you probably grew even closer than you imagined. So that's so nice. 
Yeah. Lovely. Oh. oh, thanks. Were any of the trips that you took, because you went so many places, were any mm. of them like life-changing or life-affirming for you? I personally went to India and I feel like, same as you, I know you went to India as well. I feel like it really did change like quite a lot for me. And I felt a lot of emotions while I was there as well that I never kind of imagined I would feel and a connection. And um, yeah, I feel like it it has changed my life and I'd love to go back if I get an opportunity again. Are there any trips that really kind of changed your life or, or were quite life-affirming for you? Hmm, it's an interesting one because they I think they all did in their different ways. Mm. But I think a part of my heart will always live in Cambodia. Okay. I think it, it's probably because it was the first, obviously we lived in a lot of developing countries over the years um, and we, our careers both focused on, um, you know, social work and, and development, you know, nonprofits, charities and that kind of thing. So I think, I think uh, Cambodia was my first experience of living and working in a developing country and navigating everything that, that 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 entails so I and and I just I fell in love with Cambodia um and I I still love it and we've been back several times since I think a part of me will always find that the most incredible um and and the most um special I think the word is uh you know it's just got a special place in my heart but there are other in like there there are other types of of trips that I took that had different impacts on me actually something I didn't mention was that on top of all of the, that traveling since moving back to the UK, I have, I have had for my filmmaking career, I have been sent to various countries around the world to make films. Um, and some of those, a lot of those were in incredibly, um, in- incredibly difficult um, uh, environments sometimes, or, mm. or, or very, very obviously incredibly poor countries, incredibly yeah. poor cities but and so seeing poverty it really in i don't want to say a much truer light it's very hard to explain what i mean but being able to see it for yourself and being able to understand it from a different point of view Absolutely. and not kind of the the yeah. the way that yeah certain charities like to advertise mm-hmm. um, uh, which is a whole other thing that i i believe that i don't particularly agree with yeah. um, and yeah. so that is a that's something that different affected me differently so the first one that comes to mind is Madagascar Mm. so I was sent to Madagascar twice actually over the course of a year or two and I think when you describe Madagascar when you say Madagascar to someone they think of the film or they think of kind (laughs) of tropical environments and pristine beaches and animals and um, kind of resorts or these kind of crystal blue waters and I'm not really sure why that's that's what comes to their mind um but it's it's definitely well it's not like that and it's okay. certainly not like that in Antananarivo the the the, the city the, um the capital it's it's an incredibly it's an incredibly the, the city itself has lots of problems poverty is is so rife and it's just so it's it's so i wasn't i was surprised by how taken back i was because i had experienced a lot of um difficult situations by this point in mm. my career but for some reason maybe because I wasn't expecting it so much yeah it really knocked me for six um and I I was really shocked um with with what I saw and what I experienced and it really af- affected me so I I would 
go home after a shoot and just and just cry um but that's it it, I just wasn't expecting I think so I wasn't ready I wasn't kind of mentally prepared for the for the level of poverty that I was going to witness and 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 pollution as well it's a very polluted city um so yeah there's there's a lot of different kind of things that I've taken from the different ones and the adventures are all very different but I think that experience kind of affected me the most in terms of how I feel about perceived um perceived poverty I can't you know how how I feel about what people think about certain countries but certainly the one that has probably the one that I fell in love with the most the experience that's most molded me as a person and shaped my heart would probably be Cambodia yeah wow thank you for sharing that experience Holly because like you said I think so many people they just don't realize you know they 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 look at films and I had this same kind of expectation when I went to um, LA actually. Um, So you kind of look at the Hollywood lights and you look at Hollywood on TV and you think, wow, so glamorous, amazing. And then when I got there, the amount of homelessness and Mm. people affected by mental health, I was just like, wow, this is just so different to what's perceived on tv and magazines they never show you that side and I felt really sad actually and you'd think that it was like this rich place and that yeah there might be some homeless people but I saw so so much homelessness yeah definitely and I think older people in the states that suffer from that problem but LA is I think possibly the most shocking just because you think it's so gonna be so glamorous and it's really the opposite Absolutely. You need to go to places, I think, to really, really understand. And Mm. I didn't know that about Madagascar either. It's quite close to Mauritius, Madagascar. So Mm. I assume that it wouldn't be what you just described. So I'm quite shocked to hear that, actually. Mm. Um, And that's very saddening as well to to learn that about a country um, that they are kind of experiencing so much poverty it's it's horrible and it is heartbreaking when you witness it as well because you feel helpless and you feel like you know I'm one person what can I do right now it's just it's it's a strange feeling it it definitely is and and in with Madagascar I think it was as I say I think it was the shock of not realizing because I definitely I had definitely seen um more poverty or mm. I, I had seen poverty that was certainly more severe than that in other countries okay um that you know that I had seen much more poverty in Kenya I had seen much more poverty in India but there was something about there was something about it that just took me aback because and I think it was this just notion that this was a tropical paradise and I and knew that I was where I was going to be going I knew that um, I wasn't going to be, you know, on the beaches, that I was going to be in the more difficult uh, neighbourhoods. But I think just the shock of being, of, 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 of witnessing it made me think, gosh, people really, you know, you've, you've got to challenge your perceptions because nothing is ever as it seems. And it works both ways because, mm. um, I mean, I'm getting into something different here, but I have a very, like I said, I have a very strong opinion on, um different types of fundraising that certain uh, and marketing and advertising that certain charities do because um which I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about you know those kind of guilt tripping adverts that you see on Mm -hmm. tv 
Um, and I feel very, very strongly about that. It's the polar opposite of what I want to do with my filmmaking because of several reasons. Um, but one of them being, you know, I, I basically, I think it's morally questionable. I think it's, it's unethical um, and it's, it's, it's completely unfair um, to the people that you're, of course it, it gets people to donate money because you're guilt tripping them. And of course mm. these, these countries that are being uh, represented have these problems. They have severe poverty um, and corruption and all of these other issues. But what doesn't help is to, the, to perpetuate this idea of pity. Yeah. And so, as I say, it works both ways. You can't, you, the perceived ideas of a country one way or the other uh, can, can really negatively impact so many things. So if people are thinking of these, particularly they often, it's often sub-Saharan African countries are yes. shown to be, you know, so pitiful and it, it's, 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 it's just so unfair and so untransparent and so, um, so inaccurate actually because mm -hmm. of course these places um have those issues we all know that but at the same time when I was living in uh, when I was living in Nairobi there were there were coders there that could give anyone in California a run for their money wow. anyone in Silicon Valley would not be able to keep up with them it was a fashion hub it was a tech hub wow. um it was it was just so much more than people will ever think think of yeah and it, it it was forward thinking and and it was just I that that's the part that people don't see and it's not and I often feel that it's not fair it's it's not fair at all to um to kind of highlight the issues of a country um without being completely honest and transparent about the other areas you know know that what these what these developing countries need is so much more than our pity and so yeah it works both ways our perceived our perceived notions of of what a country um you know is yeah work both ways and we just need to always I think challenge that yeah absolutely they don't need pity they need opportunity I believe exactly. that's what they need they need to be given the chance and I think it's quite offensive actually when you see these advertisements and you see a country portrayed a certain way and there's so many hidden gems within a country and it's not just about the poverty as you said so yeah that's something that needs to be changed and I'm glad that there are freelancers and filmmakers like you and your husband who are changing changing this for us I think it's so important hopefully one one film at a time but just, yeah I think what I think that people respond better because obviously as I said I make films mainly for charities and non-profits to explain the work they do but to to you know to um people respond better in my opinion to uh optimism mm -hmm. and to honesty and positivity of course you have to highlight the issue that the charity you're focusing on is is dealing with uh, whatever that might be but you you don't have to to like focus entirely on that so that people feel so guilty that they want to mm. donate you you focus on that and then you explain what the charity is doing to solve that problem you you show that to and and then show where that person's money would go and be transparent with that if they were to donate it's all about transparency and respect really Mm -hmm. and hope you see the hope if it's a positive video as well exactly definitely people respond so much better to hope yeah totally 
So you've traveled a fair bit as we've spoken about. If there are any of our listeners now who are thinking about setting off and exploring the world, maybe like you a bit like you did, what are some do's and don'ts for traveling that you can think of at the top of your head? Um, I would have to say, well, that's a, that's an that's an interesting question. I think I think do go with the flow, you know, things never go to plan when you're traveling. Um, so try not to uh, be so rigid in what you will and you, you do and don't want to do. Um, you have to be able to be flexible in your plans. Um, and I'd say, you know, <laughs> I sound I sound like such a such a mum. But I would say <laughs> be careful. Um, no, it's true. You know, just always be careful and sensible. You know, there's there's so many there's so many opportunities when you're traveling to be um not sensible Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think just being aware of knowing kind of knowing yourself knowing your environment um and just being being careful really making good decisions uh will is good and then just just have fun and be willing to meet new people put yourself in um kind of you know if you're going to be definitely in situations that won't always feel um like comfortable in that you, mm-hmm. you you're familiar to you yeah that's fine um just allow yourself to be um unfamiliar with a with an with a situation uh and 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 go with it and you, you'll find that so many amazing things come out of just just exploring something on a really organic kind of natural mm. level without trying to control too much Absolutely. I agree with you. And I think spontaneous moments and spontaneous living make the best experiences. Definitely. Oh, and try, <laughs> try lots of good food. That's my other Ooh, tip. Oh, absolutely. And don't just try loads of unusual things. Don't be afraid to, we've eaten lots of odd, strange things Ooh. in our travels. Um, and, it, you know, honestly, it's, you, it's just worth doing because actually, once you get past it, some of it's actually delicious. You know? Okay, I want to know now. So you have to tell me a few because I'm like, what have you eaten? Well, we've tried, like, <laughs> there's things that I've tried which I wouldn't necessarily try again. Like, we've tried all sorts of kind of bugs and offal mm. and brains and... Ooh, okay. Uh, act, but the, the the two that... um And actually, Kieran's eaten a tarantula. I didn't actually Ooh. eat it on that occasion. Like, a full-on size of your wow. hand. Wow. And it looked just like a tarantula because they it's kind of eaten for energy food in Cambodia, like a road snack by the side yeah. of the road. Yeah. And, and they deep fry them. And the way they do it so quickly, it just kind of just looks alive. It just looks like oh it's there. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> if it didn't look so alive, it wouldn't freak people out so much. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah so the, I can't comment on the tarantula because I actually didn't try it that time. But um, uh, two of the things that I actually really enjoyed, like things like brains and stuff, it doesn't have Ooh, much flavor. Okay. um yeah it doesn't really have much much flavor it's kind of just a bit bland but um we had two things I really enjoyed was um red ants they taste like they're actually I can't remember like citronella ants or something so they taste really like citrus like lemon and you can kind of put them in soups and things um and uh also (laughs) I was in a restaurant once in Cambodia and I ordered what on the menu was called roast bumblebee out of curiosity (laughs) And um, when it arrived, it was just, it looked like just a pancake. So I was very confused. I thought maybe they've mashed up the bumblebees and made a pancake. I didn't <laughs> understand what it was. 
And then I realized when I, when I was cutting into the pancake, I could see like a faint um, hexagonal um, uh, design. And then I realized that it was, it, I think they were kind of baked larvae. Uh, so it was ah. like the larvae that would be in the uh, in the hives yeah um, that was baked into this pancake um I couldn't actually see the larvae you can't see it I could just see the the, the a very faint outline of these hexagons and so I, I that's how I figured it out and actually it was it was delicious it was kind of like a mm. mushroomy nutty flavor um and probably really good for you yeah yeah I can imagine it being quite good for you actually that's what I was thinking definitely <laughs> So moving on to your passion, which is, well, one of your passions, which is acting. And as I've mentioned, I share this passion too. As a fellow thespian, it brings me joy to watch what you do. And it's just lovely when I see your photos and videos of you um, acting. Can you tell us a bit about some of the projects or pieces you've been involved in so far? Yeah, I mean, it it definitely is. It definitely is my passion. Um, I, like I said before, I, I didn't realize how much I missed it until I returned to it. Um, and I think I love film, but I think my, my heart will always be in theater. Mm. Um, I just think it's a more, there's something more exciting, something more organic and real Absolutely. about it theatre I love waiting back I say I love waiting backstage I I still get nerves even now yeah. and but I love it it's like a weird <laughs> like a weird love hate thing where on opening night I'm always like why do I do this to myself why do I do this to yeah, myself yeah, yeah. um but I think yeah some of I've been in, in quite a few things over the years and I think a couple of my favorites would be actually they're completely I just realized they're completely polar opposites they couldn't be more different mm. but two performances I've been in um uh have that I really enjoyed one was um Return to the Bidden Planet which is a jukebox musical so it was my first ever musical um I did this uh about four years ago and um no maybe five no four years ago four or five years ago um and it was uh yeah it's a jukebox musical it's um a kind of uh futuristic like take a sci-fi take on the tempest so it has loads of Shakespeare references it's it's based on the tempest but it's a jukebox musical set in space so it's all a bit of a mixture of of genres and then the songs are all kind of 50s um kind of old school golden tracks Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was just so much fun I had so much fun on it and it is it's quite well known because it's crazy um there's lots going on. Uh, there's a lot of like audience involvement at places. Oh, cool. Like and the I just Rocky Horror to... Show. Say that again. Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's it is. It's like got Rocky Horror Show vibes, and it was just brilliant. I had like a bubblegum pink wig, oh, um, nice. in a kind of like fifties style, and it, we were in like kind of Star Trek like outfits, um, and the songs are just like you know good vibrations and things like that and they the whole story is basically the story of of the tempest but just spun out in this sci-fi way and it's just brilliant I had so much fun and and then the opposite well not the opposite but the the other side to this and the musicals are definitely um out of my comfort zone and that was the first one I ever did um but my my usual go-to and my possibly my favorite 
thing I've been involved in is um, I did a production of Dancing at Lunasa um, a, a couple of years ago, and it's just it's just beautiful, beautiful writing. Mm. Um, it's 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 just there's there's it's a, it's a, a play about five sisters and their relationship um, in um, in Ireland in the 1930s and how their life. It's very. It's one of those very simple plays where nothing much happens, but it's it's quite. I don't know if the word is sad. It is quite sad. It's it's more. Um, it's just melancholy. It's it's the 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 relationships they have with each other and what them watching the world move so quickly and advance and them kind of being left behind in this rural location. It's it's just beautifully written and the relationships are beautifully written and I just so I really enjoyed it it was very difficult to keep up an Irish accent for two hours but um, it was was definitely uh it was definitely worth all the kind of voice classes and practice oh fantastic that sounds amazing have you faced any setbacks in the industry just I'm just thinking about you know some of the listeners that may also act and faced any setbacks and you feel like when you do experience those moments sometimes you can't see I don't know you can't see a way out of it so did you experience Mm. any and Mm. how did you overcome them I think the biggest setback for any actor is just getting roles um Mm. and and you know auditioning landing jobs and I think that will will never change so I I I think that's the 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 thing you have to do with that is just to manage expectations and and there are different trains of thought on that subject some people feel like you're only going to make it if you throw yourself into it like wholeheartedly um and focus on it entirely but um I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a realist but I I just think because I had already developed my filmmaking career, I was in a privileged position. Mm-hmm. But I think focusing on other incomes and perhaps even trying as best you can to not just um, uh, well, trying to uh, earn money, but also carve yourself out something that you enjoy doing just as much mm-hmm. will um, cushion those blows that you you have to you naturally have to uh, experience when you're an actor of rejection and audition after audition. So I think having, yeah, having like a safety net as, as cliche as an expression that is, is, is something that is the, is really the only way to, to kind of um, to, to fight against that setback. And yeah, I, I think that is possibly the main one is, and and I'm sure most actors can relate to it. Absolutely. So going back to to talking about some of the filmmaking stuff that you do and you've worked on alongside your husband, Kieran, um, your focus, as you've mentioned, is mainly to work with nonprofits and NGOs to help them promote the important work that they do. So have you had Mm -hmm. any favourite pieces that you've created so far? Yes. Um, yeah as you say I've been I I, there was a time when I was doing kind of back-to-back trips um almost literally like I I would have maybe less than 24 hours sometimes to be at home and repack before I was back at the airport to go somewhere else and I was going to like yeah I was going to like 
Brazil, Morocco, Israel, Madagascar, Japan. Um, I mean, it was it was a bit crazy. At, um, yeah. And like Nin, it was just like one trip after another, and it was awesome. But um, there there are probably two that really um, stuck in my mind out of all the films. All the films I've made have been mm-hmm. um, very special to me and have been very important because they're always telling someone's story. Um, but I think two that set in my mind is one was in Japan um, because I went to Kesanuma in the in the the slightly north uh, province of Japan, okay. and it's an area that was completely devastated by the um, by the tsunami yeah. after Fukushima, and um, it was about a year almost exactly after the. Um, nuclear disaster and and subsequent um, uh, tidal wave um, that um, I visited. So there was still a lot of devastation. Yeah. There was still um, it, it, Kesanuma was still pretty much completely flattened. Um, and I was going to visit uh, a, a guy who had basically previously owned a bar and wasn't involved in development, but just out of sheer um he he just noticed obviously all the desperation around him how many people had lost members of the family but also how many people had lost their jobs and what he noticed most of all was that a lot of the people that had lost their jobs were women with children because um they were now having to you know people having to juggle incomes and um so he set up this a jam factory it was called peace jam um to uh basically give work um to women who had children and they actually had they're usually very young children they actually had them with them in in the kind of I say factory but it was you know it's like a industrial kitchen and they would have them there so it was kind of like it was an amazing um enterprise where they would be able to work but there was childcare and it just was so wonderful and he himself had invested so much money just to make a difference in his community. Um, And it was, it was so, I think that one was particularly special because of course it was amazing to meet him and see the wonderful work that he's doing, but it was just so um, incredibly powerful to see um, the, uh, the effects that, that the tsunami had had on, on society. And I remember driving through, town I mean I say town but as I said a lot of it had been flattened and you could see kind of the remnants of people's houses like you would be standing on tiles where a bathroom once was oh wow um and then you I was driving through the town and I said oh stop the car and there was this huge huge ship um like fishing vessel just lying in the middle across the road um to, to my left and it was just it was so far inland and apparently had been left there as a kind of memorial um, but it was just shocking to be like in the middle of a city yeah. and there's a huge ship just in the middle of the road. Um, so that really, you know, hit things home and it gives you a whole new perspective on everything, on the story you're telling. Um, but um, I, I, I must say that that my possibly my favourite um, story that I've ever told is um, is Wiser's story. So WISER stands for the the, um, Women's Institute of Secondary Education and Research. And it's based in um, Muhuru Bay in Kenya. And so obviously I I made that film when I was living in Nairobi. 
And uh, I can't really describe what Wiser means uh, concisely because it's just such an incredible organization. But it basically, Mahuru Bay is um, a very, very poor region of Kenya. Um, and there's also a lot of um, societal issues to do with patriarchy um, and the way that girls and women are viewed yeah. in that society. So um, they are often seen as their, their worth is often equated to their dowry or how many yeah. cows they get when they're married. Similar to India. Yes, exactly. So it, it it's it's very difficult to be a girl or a woman in that area. Um, they're very, very rarely educated because if a family has has enough money to send one of their children to school, they'll send the boys. Yeah. Um, so WISER is basically an organization that takes on girls from from Mahuri Bay and gives them a safe place to to not only learn and be educated in, but also to thrive. So it's a it's a boarding school. Okay. They live there. They get, you know, three or four square square meals a day, um, which is completely unheard of. Um, it, a lot of these, it's no exaggeration to say that a lot of these um, girls would be lucky to have one meal a day um, at, at their homes. Um, and I think basically I just told Wiser's story. I went to campus. I lived with the girls for a while um, and I just told their story. And it it is without a shadow of a doubt that my most my most um it, it changed me basically being mm-hmm. on wise's campus it changed my very kind of core um and how i view the world not only on not only how i tell films but how i how i view the world i i was really moved i was really um i was really touched i was really shocked um and i spent that i spent a while living there with the with the girls, with the staff, um, and just slowly telling the stories, interviewing the teachers, the staff who really, truly believed in in what they were doing, in trying to um, empower the girls of Mahuru Bay and then, therefore, of Kenya. Um, and it was it was so inspiring. I have never been so inspired by anyone as though that group of girls. They were so determined. They were so powerful, and they were outperforming. Um, you know, most of the schools in Kenya and including the boys. Wow. So it, it was, it was amazing. And um, I will never, ever forget my time there. And the, the story that I told um, was, was very, you know, I was told it was very, very powerful. And they still use that today as their, as their, all these years later as their main fundraising tool. Um, and I think it's because it was so, it was so, honest it was so real um Mm -hmm. and it was it was a true representation of the incredible work that they're doing and can we find that video holly is that available on yes yeah i mean totally Uh, i mean obviously i think it's on my website but if you it's on many out many different places especially that wiser have have put it but it's, it's called um uh wiser empowering girls um uh and they uh yeah you should be able to find it in different places I'm just double checking if they had if they've put it under any other name okay I'll definitely um 
put a link to that in the show notes because I think that's really interesting. I personally love to take a look. And what I got from that, I can hear the passion in your voice anyway. So I know how much it meant to you just by listening to you. And what I really respect is the fact that you fully immersed yourself um, within the environment. And I think a lot of people or a lot of filmmakers, they just go somewhere and they don't really take the time to know the people who they're filming. And you can really tell the difference when somebody comes in and they fully respect uh, the community and people they're working with and fully immerse themselves within to that environment. Because I think that's, you can only truly understand people when you're living within that environment, whether it be, you know, for a brief moment or, or long-term, you really get a different understanding of, of people and their situation and also their passion and drive. Like you mentioned, they are achieving like so much. And um, I think, you know, that could be missed by someone who didn't really take the time to fully immerse themselves and get to know the girls. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think I was very, uh, very lucky to be um, and privileged to be able to spend that time with them and, and have that have that chance I also think that um, there's a lot to be said for the fact that I'm a I'm a one woman production house so I just yeah. have it's just me um, my kit I shoot on DSLRs and small cameras so that I can travel with them um, and then I have my sound equipment and a, and a simple bounce board I don't carry lights because I try to use natural lighting um, if I'm traveling Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the the special something that happened in that film and, and hopefully in most of my films um, a lot of my feedback is often that um, people really open up and and it feels very real and honest and I think that's because it's just me it's literally just me yeah. um, I'm just you know it's not so scary a lot of these people uh that I'm interviewing in 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 any given situation particularly in in the wiser video um a a lot of them will have never seen this kind of camera equipment before Mm. and it would be very intimidating yes for a whole camera crew to be there um and I think there's something you know I wanted it to be not intrusive and I didn't want to be um I didn't want to be rude or kind of I did I just didn't want to intrude and I wanted to be able to um make them feel as comfortable as possible when they're talking about quite difficult things you know experiences that they've gone through so when it's just me and obviously I think it helps being a woman Mm -hmm. um and and I, I just set my camera up on the tripod, make sure the shot is focused and everything, check the sound, hold the bounce board so that the light is, the natural light is bounced in the right position. So I'm literally doing all the parts. Mm-hmm. And then I sit to the side of the camera um, and, I, and I, I ask the questions. So I do the interviews and, um, and then they're not looking at the camera, they're just looking at me and then just, there's no one else there. So I, I think that helps. Yeah, definitely puts their minds at ease and they just feel comfortable so that's the most important thing and I think that we can really tell by um, your videos and how you've captured them that it's very natural and people are relaxed so yeah lovely it's it's really inspiring yeah it's really inspiring what you do so keep it up (laughs) thank you yeah you're welcome 
Uh, I also know that you're a very talented photographer and you've been commissioned by the artist JR, which resulted in your photos being displayed around buildings in Paris and your films have been screened at the prestigious International Microfinance Awards at the Louvre Museum. This must have been such a humbling experience to see your work out there. Um, how, how did it feel? What was that like? Yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. I think the I think the photos thing was was intense because um you know JR's quite a renowned, you know, artist and being able mm-hmm. to do that and then having them I was so I really love it. It was portrait photography, so just taking pictures of people's faces all over <laughs> all over in different countries. Um and um I really love capturing portraits. It's yeah. my favorite type of photography. It's just capturing someone's face and getting their essence you know getting that kind of getting their personality across was so important to me and then seeing those blown up really huge and then put around (laughs) Paris and just kind of catching sight of them was very strange but really (laughs) exciting but I think um the more intense thing was definitely having the film screened at the Louvre because it was on a huge huge like cinema screen oh wow And, and you know there were just so many people there from all these kind of it was quite a sort of star spangled uh, or, or whatever the term is this this kind of glamorous event yeah um but also that was um you know it was about um the the laureates uh the the winners of the evening so the the uh all the people that I had been filming and all the people that had um uh, won awards for, for the microfinance awards so it all it had a very social core um, but seeing my films on that screen was very surreal because um, at that time I had just spent so long traveling and filming and editing and then all of a sudden I was kind of just like wow there they are and then the thing that was most important to me was that the films that I had made the the, the, the people that they were made about were on stage. Mm-hmm. So all these people that I had met in far flung corners of the earth <laughs> were suddenly right there on the stage um, in Paris receiving mm-hmm. their awards. And it just felt very um, bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it felt even more bizarre for them, but it was just, I I, I think it was, it's, I just felt proud. And I don't often, I think I'm the kind of person who, it gives myself a hard time, especially about my creative work a lot of the time. So it was, I felt very proud and that felt very surreal as well. I suddenly thought, wow, these, these films have told this, these people's stories, these people are now here receiving this award. And I just felt this kind of rush of like, of pride. And it's not something that I'm used to feeling. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was nice and, and really kind of just amazing. Yeah, exactly. Because you should be proud, Holly. It's not even just about the art. It's the fact that you have given platform to to people and their voices, which I think really stands out and makes the difference as well. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was just, that's exactly it. Just <laughs> being able to give them that opportunity was, was really humbling. And um, it just really filled my heart. That's the only way I can describe Aww. it. As cheesy as that sound, it really kind of, I felt like my heart was going to burst. Oh, bless. That's so cute. 
So going back to you now, Holly, um, we've spoken earlier about um, you traveling with Kieran and then uh, your relationship growing even closer. So can you tell us a bit about getting married and then becoming a mother? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, like like I said, I've been with Kieran since uh, since my last year of university. He wasn't at my university. He was just um, uh, best friends with someone that I was um, that was on my course, who I was best friends with. There was fifty girls on my course and four boys, um, and and I was friends with the boys. Um, so yeah, that's how I got to meet him. Um, and after we went traveling, um, yeah, definitely solidified our relationship, and and we spent many years um kind of living and then traveling more in different countries as as I described and then um back in 2012 uh we went on a really cool three or four week road trip across the United States from very northern Michigan right down to Florida so from north to south um almost tip to tip and it was um it was amazing we went through like um the Mississippi Delta blues because we're really into blues music so we just kind of followed that trail um and it was incredible and whilst we're on that trip um I don't know how I didn't clock that something was going on (laughs) because it just seems so obvious looking back but um we went to this beautiful the Monmouth plantation in in um Mississippi which is just it's just stunning I can't describe it it's just a beautiful plantation Mm -hmm. with all these these trees and this grounds and this huge house um and we had this amazing room and I said to him oh this is really because we've been staying in like really basic yeah um, like motels and I was like this is really nice what are we doing here (laughs) we didn't um you know celebrate our anniversary you know and I was like oh you're right we didn't um and then obviously he had he had it all like he had it planned like we went for and the funny thing is he's he I, I say he had it planned he went there with the idea, but he hadn't really planned when or how he was going to do it or anything. And okay. but then um, I remember sitting down, we were about to have this like ridiculous seven course meal that had been booked and we were sitting down and it wasn't ready yet. And we were sitting down in the bar having a mint julep because the mint juleps were invented on this plantation. Mm. And, um, and I said to him, Oh, we've got a bit of time. Should we go for a walk in the beautiful grounds? Mm-hmm. And he, he, now looking back with hindsight, I remember him being like, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I was like, okay, let's go for a walk. So we went for a nice walk and there was this beautiful little white bridge over, over a lake. Um, and, um, oh, and wow. he, um, he actually uh, said, oh, we don't have enough photos because we've been doing this trip by ourselves. We don't have enough photos of the two of us. And I was like, oh, you're totally right. He's like, I'll set the camera up on a self timer. And I totally believed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it was recording. I didn't know that. And so there's this video of me go, you can hear me at the beginning you know, saying, oh, the, the camera didn't click. The camera didn't click. And like, yes, it did. I'm like, it didn't. And then, he, and then I turned around and he was down on one knee and proposed. Oh so that was, it was amazing. Gosh. And it was really romantic and oh. just incredible. So, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of years and we were back in the UK and got married down in Devon just because we fell in love with the location and the venue that we found, which was just a massive banner house with like, so many um so much space and so many beds so I could have all my family and friends oh, stay lovely. and it was incredible it was a, just it was just honestly the best day ever and we had this huge party and we the the owners were amazing they let us do whatever we wanted and it went oh, on all night um, amazing loads of fun and then yeah and then that, that was 2014 and then in 2018 um I had Willow my daughter oh. Yeah. And it was, it was, um, 
I found out in end of January, the last day of January was when I found out I was pregnant. And then we arrived on uh, the 2nd of October that year and like completely changed our lives. (laughs) Yeah. Your little family is so adorable. Honestly, I look at the photos and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like perfect. Like it was meant to be so cute. So now moving on to my favorite part of the show, which is Mm -hmm. pets, specifically cats. So can you tell us a bit more about your life and journey with pets and cats so far? Yes, of course. Um, (laughs) So obviously I'm a big cat person (laughs) I um I've had a a handful of of incredible cats in my life which started with my cat Chester um who I was given um for my second birthday present um and um actually I was given her it's it she's a it's her even though Chester is a boy's name because apparently (laughs) we thought she was a boy um for a long time um and then she wouldn't answer to anything else so she ended up being Chester um so she was given to me by my aunt for my second birthday present and my mum was like what because obviously you don't just buy um your your niece or nephew a cat without Uh, telling them um but uh you know and then my mum was like okay well she has to stay now um and she you know she was the whole family's kind of love and little gem for forever she was she lived until she was 21 so um yeah she lived a long long time and I had her from yeah age two to age 23 and then um uh or she uh was uh, what uh, I'm just trying to work out timings yeah so she I was about 20 23 and then um before Chester passed away we actually I was living with Kieran um, and we had some housemates. We all lived together. And this was um, uh, several years before. And we um, we actually ended up getting a, a cat all together as a house um, called MJ, um, which which stands for Michael Jackson because he has like little white gloves, um, <laughs> just like MJ. Um, and he he uh, was yeah just a, a crazy cat. And he he now basically we when we all lived together he lived with us and then when we all ended up going our separate ways a few years down the line, um, uh, obviously Chester wasn't with us anymore and so uh, he now lives with my mum, and he still lives with my mum now, um, and then fast forward to twenty fifteen and we um, I had been thinking about getting a cat here in Norwich. Mm-hmm. Um, but hadn't really I wasn't really kind of sh- sure about when or you know timings and everything and then a, a guy that I know um, knew that I couldn't resist and uh, put me in touch with there's a lost and found cats page in Norwich and there was this beautiful beautiful Russian blue um, who was uh, basically just living in some scraggy land some some bushes out near the station and this lady had said she'd been feeding him and but he was very timid and she couldn't take him in because she had a cat and he'd been um he'd been tested for he was FIV positive and Mm -hmm. she was like I can't take him in I don't know what else to do because she had called all the shelters and they were all full it was a pretty intense time in Norwich like there wasn't any space in any of the shelters um and she was like I don't know what else to do she she was amazing she had taken him to the vet several times she had had him neutered she had had him deworm defleed 
Um, she, I think, had had a couple of his teeth removed and like did all this off, the, off of her own back, even though wow. she wasn't going to be able to take him in. And she was like, please, just, can anyone take him? Um, and then obviously I said to Kieran, let's just go and see him as if we're going to go and see him and then not yeah. take him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went and actually my mum was visiting that weekend, who is also obviously um, a crazy cat lady like me. And, <laughs> she was along, and he was just so skinny and so timid. And oh, bless him. He was just so, um, yeah, so scared and so unwell. And we, you know, instantly fell in love. And I was like, well, we'll be taking him. And she was just so responsible, this lady. She was like, do you mind if I come to your house first? Brilliant, brilliant. To see, yeah, if the environment is appropriate, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, I do not mind at all. Let's drive there together. You can have him. And if you feel comfortable, you can leave him with us. Um, and so that's how, that's how things went. And then that was Miles. And Miles lived with us until January almost actually almost a year ago to in a couple of days it'd be a year ago that um that we had to sadly put miles down um Mm -hmm. because the fiv got the better of him and he just had a lot of illnesses towards the end and it was all very very sad and then obviously um chester was was a lot older than miles was miles we'll never know how old he was really but he was probably about 11 or 12 um um uh, when when eventually he he passed away um, and yeah, so I've got those kind of the, those three sort of those three cat babies in my life. There was Chester and Miles, bless them, which have both um, passed on. And then MJ, who is still living with my mum. Oh, cute. Well, thanks for sharing that, Holly. So, you know, you've just mentioned about Miles and, and losing Miles, which must have been quite a tough time. Um could you tell us a bit more about what he was like? Yeah, he was he was um he was a lovely cat. I think he was just such a character and just so gentle. I think that kind of surprised us because obviously I he must have been somebody's pet at some point because he was such an unusual breed to be a, a stray. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, he definitely wasn't kind of a, a feral cat or anything like that. It, he was a beautiful, beautiful blue Burmese. Um, sorry, uh, Russian, Russian blue. blue. Um, and he he was just a very had a very gentle soul. And I think all of my cats have had very different personalities. Chester was very on, very kind of strong willed and like a bit aloof, but just knew um what she wanted and what she didn't like mm. mj's just crazy he's just <laughs> full on just crazy um and fights a lot and just does really daft things and he's just a, he's just slightly crazy cat um uh and and miles was just so gentle and so i wasn't kind of i wasn't expecting it and for the first few months he was quite um timid and very uh kind of probably like mentally scarred by everything because he didn't come he didn't sit on our laps he was very very quiet very aloof didn't want us any kind of affection and I just thought well this is this is fine this is the cat we've taken on and um although I'll miss you know lap cuddles um that's fine with me I can just give him all the love that I can and then slowly over the first few months we had him he really came out of his shell and he was super affectionate very very loyal and more like a, a dog in many ways mm. commented on the way he he acted like a dog <laughs> um, and he was just so sweet he he was such a gentle soul and didn't 
like he was not a fighter whatsoever mm. and couldn't catch anything to save his life. Uh, just, just, yeah, not a hunter, not a fighter. Other cats, other birds would just like come into the garden and walk right past him and he would just sit there and freeze because it just wasn't his scene. Oh, and yeah, he was just lovely and very, um, very affectionate and very much uh, a part of the family. He would follow us around. My 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 in-laws, Kieran's parents, lived just a few doors away, literally. Okay. Um, and so he would follow us there because we would go there several times a week for dinner mm-hmm. and he would follow us there. And so, you know, and, and in fact, if I couldn't find him, he'd just be at theirs. And so he'd kind of <laughs> in our houses um, and really integrated himself into the family in every in every way possible. Bless. I'm so glad that the, the lady that, that found him and you were able to give him such a nice life because he must have been so scared, you know. I know, bless him. He really must have been. He was so timid and so skinny. Like he was just, mm. he looked terrible when we got him. And then once he had sort of plumped up and then his fur was just just so beautiful and it was mm. the softest fur I have ever felt on a cat and and that's not even me being biased I've never felt so beautifully soft and he was just the most beautiful everyone everyone always says to me I I mean he was such a sweet boy but my goodness wasn't he just amazing he was just stunning and I was like I know I don't know how he ended up on the street (laughs) oh darling it's just gorgeous bless well I'm glad that you know it sounds like from what you're saying that you guys you know, definitely made his life a lot better. And he seemed, at least he was happy to live out his, his life, which is yeah, really nice. Definitely. Do you have any funny or heartwarming stories about him? Oh my goodness. There are so many, but one that sticks out is, um, is possibly, uh, one time I came into the house and there was a fish on the floor at, <laughs> And I was like, it was quite a big fish, probably like six inches. Oh, wow. And I was like, where is, where has this come from? I was so confused. And, and then I like, I realized that this, the fish didn't smell. So it was really fresh. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh my God, Mars has caught fish. And then I, my kind of brain caught up with me. I was like, where would he have caught this fish? Just yeah. like, there is no possibility of him catching. There are no ponds. We live directly on the river like literally the house runs into the river but I mean if he'd been in the river one he would have been soaking wet and two he would have drowned because there's no way out so I was like has he been in the river or then I thought oh no I bet you he's just stolen this from a fisherman because there's like uh, like and he's just nicked it and brought it here but then I realized I looked at the fish and it had this weird hole in it like a really perfect hole yeah and I realized that it was um it was a, a, a seagull probably or some kind of bird uh, picked it up from the river, snatched it up from the river and then just ac- just accidentally dropped it probably in the garden or in the in the in the area we live in. Yeah. And he had just seen this as his opportune moment yeah, to actually yeah, yeah. be a hunter for once, because he, as I say, he's just terrible at hunting. Oh. So he just brought it through the cat flap like that and left it on the floor. And he looks so proud of himself. Oh, and he kept yeah. like nudging it towards me. And I was like, that's excellent. <laughs> But he, I was like, this isn't even yours. You totally stole this and brought it in like it's yours and you're trying to take credit for it. Um, so but yeah, he, he was 
he was so sweet. I just, I didn't have the heart to like throw it back into the river, even though yeah. obviously with, with him seeing this. So Kieran like took him away, made a big fuss of him, like, well done you. And I just Aww. threw it back into the river. So cute. That is hilarious. He sounds like. He's so cheeky. Yeah, yeah. Such a funny little personality. No, definitely. And aside from that, he was just adorable. And there was loads of things. He had like a beautiful little snaggle tooth. um, And he used to, he used to like lie in this really weird, awkward position, like full length on Kieran's legs pretty much every night when we'd be sitting on the sofa. Um, And, and it was very, very unique. And it, just doing all those things so I think those are the kind of things you miss like I miss I miss feeling like the weight of just just him being in the bed you know yes um and I still sometimes even all this like a year later sometimes I just forget things and you think oh I'll just save that for for miles or oh uh, you know like if you're half asleep and you accidentally like nudge something and you think oh it's a cat and obviously it's Mm -hmm. not him but it's yeah we were very lucky to have him in our lives Oh, bless. So thank you so much for talking to me uh, this evening, Holly. It's been really lovely catching up with you and listening to your stories. Honestly, I think you're just amazing and inspirational. Oh, bless you. And, no, yeah, thank keep, you. Thank you so much for having me on. And no, you're I'm welcome. Just, I love being able to, obviously, I love being able to talk about acting and filmmaking because they're things that, and, and I know I've, I've, I've nattered away about them so much, but they are, they're things I'm passionate about, but obviously mm. it's, I think I natter away about them because I miss them so much because obviously yeah. parenthood and motherhood, yeah. it, you kind of, uh, you lose those parts of yourself for a little while. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously with, with, with COVID and everything, you just haven't, I haven't had a chance to get, I was about to be on a play actually just before COVID. And so I kind of miss that stuff. That's why I talk so passionately, extra passionately about it, but also, you know, I, I'm just so thankful to be have an opportunity to talk about cats with somebody else yeah. that loves talking about them because I could talk about them forever and and so could most of my family. We're all we're all <laughs> but um I think a lot of people just don't get it as well. But, yeah, they don't, um, yeah. They just don't get uh yeah, definitely um uh like what it what it means. Yeah, to have a cat and to have cats in your life is it's it's beautiful and it's an amazing um opportunity i think when cats choose you to be their humans yes so, exactly and yeah. it's such a myth that they don't you know that they don't show affection or they don't love you in the same way it's, absolutely. it's an absolute myth and anyone that has had a cat will know that um and just the absolute um kind of understanding they have they have like a sixth sense especially mm-hmm. when it comes to your moods and being able yeah. to to help you and kind of almost be like your therapy they are absolutely incredible and your life is just so much more benefited by having them in it absolutely I couldn't agree with you more so lastly if the listeners want to find out a bit more about you um, and your accounts online and your website and this amazing work that you do with the NGOs and charities where can they find you oh um so I have a website for my filmmaking work, um, which is uh, hollyharrington.com. Um, uh, Holly is spelt with an I-E. So it's H-O-L-L-I-E, Harrington, H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. And um, that's all my filmmaking stuff mainly on there. 
Um, I don't have a, an actual website um, for my acting stuff. Um, I've been meaning to make one uh, for a few years <laughs> and I haven't done so yet, but there's lots of things um, out there at the moment. Actually, the latest um, film that I've been in is hopefully going to be released soon. It's a, a short called The Darkest Blue mm. um, by Andy Stegel. Okay. Um, and it um, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, short film uh, about a an, an artist and how far she'll go to be able to sell her work um and it's just it's, it's a really poignant piece I think and I'm really really excited for it to be released so yeah that's the darkest blue and it should be out soon okay brilliant thank you and do you have Instagram or oh yes um, so um my Instagram I um I'm I have an Instagram for my acting um okay. and uh, I also do some modeling so um it that's Harrington underscore Holly um okay. uh, and that's the handle that people will be able to find me on Instagram thank you Holly I'll make sure I'll put all of that in the show notes as well and the links so thank you again and good night thank you so much take care bye bye